series. Um, if you were here last week, this is just basically going to be a, a repeat of, of what I shared last week. Uh, for the next six weeks, uh, next five weeks, six weeks total, uh, we're going to be doing kind of doing a sermon series on the church. Uh, we usually preach through books of the Bible. We just finished preaching through the Song of Solomon and uh, going to be doing a bit of a topical series here on the church uh, since Song of Solomon ended up being a little shorter and we finished earlier. So we're going to be focusing on the church and church planting. Those are going to be some of the topics. So last week we looked at uh, the church on mission, talked about our identity. This week we're going to be talking about the church on mission and our calling. Uh, Dan is going to be preaching next week on the Emmaus Road passage. So that's very familiar to us, but kind of getting a refresher on that. And then we're going to be talking for a couple weeks on why why should we plant churches and why is Emmaus Road specifically going to be planting a church. And then I'll be preaching on the Living Stone passage from 1 Peter chapter 2. And as I mentioned last week, my hope is that through this series that God would give us all more of a heart for him and more of a heart for his church, to love him and love his church. And my main argument uh, that I argued, I'm going to argue again, is that you can't claim to love Jesus and not love his church. I'm also going to argue that our identity and our calling as Christians is both corporate and individual. Uh, It's never just an individual thing. We belong to a body of Christ and who we are as the body of Christ and what we are called to do, I think, unfortunately, in our, in our culture right now, those things are they're misunderstood and they're undervalued, uh, especially in American evangelicalism. So this morning, as we think about those things, I want us to consider the what we are called to do part of the equation. We've probably heard uh, some of these arguments before, some of these, uh, some of these statements. People say things like, the church is broken, or we just need to get back to the Acts 2 kind of church. Uh, We need to reimagine the way that we do church. Or if we keep doing things the way that we're doing them, the next generation isn't even going to, there's nothing going to be called church. There's not going to even be a place for people to go and gather together and worship God if we don't fix things that that are broken right now. Well, what's going on with all this, this apocalyptic attitude towards the church? Um, I, I'm all for fixing what's broken. Um, that's probably partly why I'm doing what I'm doing. Uh, I think God, that's, that's what God has called us to do uh, as his people. That's what God has called us to do as a church. Our call is to, to go out into the world, to make disciples. Uh, that's fundamentally about fixing what is broken, It's about calling people out of darkness, out of broken relationships with God and broken relationships with other people to be reconciled to God and to be reconciled to other people. That's what it's about. That's what we're doing as a church. But if we think that this mission can be accomplished by just utterly disregarding the church and saying, well, we'll just do those things in our little pockets here and there and and we don't need the church. If we think that that is possible, I think we're fooling ourselves. Um, I understand the impulse. I understand the frustrations. Uh, I've been around long enough, not as long as some of you, but I've been around long enough and been in ministry long enough to see the frustrations, to see the frustrations with organizations, to see the frustrations in churches, to see the frustrations with leadership. And I think we have this tendency 
we, we always want to overcorrect something that the previous generation uh, didn't do well or got wrong. I had a conversation recently with a brother. Uh, it's actually the, the guy who runs the missionary housing where we lived in Menasha for a year and a half. And uh, he w- they were missionaries in Austria, and he's been a church planter in different parts of the U.S. And he was, we were talking about the church, and uh, he, you know, he's like saying, like, oh, I'm glad I'm not you know, in your position now. Like, I've kind of done that before. And, uh, he w- but then he was talking about his generation and kind of lamenting, in a sense, of kind of the megachurch uh, generation, the, the model that said, let's just bring people in, let's attract them, let's make them feel comfortable, and, and that'll just, that's going to be the, the savior of, you know, the things that are broken. That's going to fix all of this. Uh, and he was kind of lamenting that that's, that didn't work. <laughs> uh, his generation tried that, and it didn't work, and um, it, was, it was a failure. But I think the solution isn't for, for my generation or for millennials to just say, well, they screwed it up, and so the church isn't important, so let's just, they got it wrong. Let's just forget about church altogether. Um, I don't think it's about blaming one generation or, or one other, another generation trying to, to fix what the other generation uh, got wrong and, and trying to get it right and, and just overcorrect and make things up as we go along. I think God has told us pretty clearly in his word what the church is to be and what the church is to do. And those are the things that we're going to be looking at. So again, there are things that we can react to. There are things that we can critique. But at the end of the day, it's not about saying, oh, they did this. Now we need to do this. It's about going back to God's word and saying, this is who God has called us to be as his people. And this is how we're going to live that out. So last week we looked at our identity as the people of God and what it means that the church is one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. Those are the attributes from the Nicene Creed that we looked at. And then we saw how those things are seen in Ephesians 1, 1 to 2, and then really throughout the whole book of Ephesians. Today we're going to look at our calling as the church. So what are we supposed to do as the people of God? If we don't know who we are, then we don't know what we are called to do, what we are supposed to do. And this is really a major theme throughout Scripture that confronts us both as individual Christians and corporately as the people of God. We need to know who we are so that we can know what we are supposed to do. So it's knowing our identity so that we can live out our calling. Again, my prayer for us this, throughout this series, throughout these weeks, and really always, of course, is that we would love Christ and love his church more and that we would know who God has called us to be as his people, as the church, and that we would live in light of, of that true identity. So last week we looked at Ephesians 1, 1 and 2. Uh, this week we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 4. Just kind of say a word about the structure of Ephesians. Uh, most people kind of split Ephesians into two different parts, chapters 1 to 3, call it the, maybe the theological section of Ephesians. It really does talk about our identity, kind of answers the, the who and the what questions about what, who God is and who we are in him. And then chapters four to six, uh, people call it like the practical part, uh, talks about our calling, talks about who we're, how we're supposed to live out that identity that we have and answers a lot of those how-to questions. So Ephesians 4.1 here really is kind of the turning point of the book. Uh, Paul is saying, 
I've told you who you are, now this is how you should live it out. So it's printed here in your worship guide, and let's follow along together and be attentive to the reading of God's word, Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, as we come this morning before your word, we ask that you would teach us, Lord, that you would show us how to walk, how to live out the calling that you have called us to, how to be your people, how to mature and to grow up into Christ the head. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Again, I'm probably sounding like a broken record, but I'm going to repeat myself that if we don't know who we are, how can we know who we are supposed to be and how we are supposed to live? Well, hopefully uh, we answered that who we are question Last week, we talked about from Ephesians 1, 1 and 2, that we are saints uh, called holy ones because of Jesus. We're holy in him. He's the holy one of God. We're reconciled to God and others, and we're united to God and others. Unity is a, really a huge theme throughout the book of Ephesians, and we just read a little bit about that here in the first half of chapter 4. The church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, meaning that there's an authority structure in place. And again, we see a little bit of that here in this passage. And finally, the church is Catholic or universal. Uh, There's no such thing as just saying the the American church or the Chinese church or the Brazilian church. Uh, The church is the church of Jesus Christ that is spread throughout the world and made up of people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. So we, we've kind of established those things, the, the attributes of the church, the identity of the church. Uh, but the church is also, it's universal, but it's also local. 
uh, when we start talking about the mission of the church, I think it's helpful for us to think about the mission of the church in terms of this idea of the church being local. Uh, If we're going to say, what is God calling us to do, that's not just, what is God calling all of the churches in America to do, or what is God calling all of the churches in Appleton to do. Uh, We want to ask the question specifically, what is God calling us as Emmaus Road, as this local congregation to do? At the end of the day, I'm going to argue that every congregation is called to do three main things. Uh, That's kind of how we're going to structure things this morning, and how each church goes about doing these three things. It's going to look a little different uh, depending on the context, depending on the location. We're not going to all do these three things in the exact same way. But I'm going to argue that we're all called to do three things. Worship, nurture, and witness. Worship, nurture, and witness. And we're going to unpack those as we go. And I'm borrowing uh, this idea, I mean, this these words, uh, worship, nurture, and witness, from Edmund Clowney's book on the church. Uh, if you're interested in de- digging into something a little, little heavier, a more kind of intermediate level, uh, Clowney's book on the church print, uh, by InterVarsity Press is, is a phenomenal work. It talks a lot about the attributes of the church that we talked about uh, last week and his things on, on mission here. Worship, nurture, and witness are, are really good too and talks about church structure, church government. If you have questions about things about the church, that would be a great resource for you. But here's how Clowney puts it in his book. He says, the church is called to serve God in three ways. To serve him directly in worship, to serve the saints in nurture, and to serve the world in witness. So again, if you're taking notes, we're going to repeat these things uh, as we go along, but those are going to be the three main points And we're going to see today how Ephesians 4 informs those things. So the first one, we are called to serve God in our worship of him. Okay, if you're taking notes, if you want to draw an arrow, draw a vertical arrow pointing up. Okay, that's the focus here. It's it's vertical. It's us focused on our worship of God. Called to serve God in our worship of Him. So, if you read Clowney or if you read some others who write about the church, especially in the Reformed tradition, they'll talk about the attributes of the church one, holy, Catholic, and apostolic. And then they'll talk about the marks of the church. There's usually three, some say two, um, depending on, on the tradition. But the three marks of the church that we usually talk about are faithful preaching of the word, faithful administration of the sacraments, and a faithful exercise of church discipline. Uh, these are things that we do in our worship of God. Those are things that happen as we gather corporately, particularly as local bodies. Uh, and some people would argue that if, these, if you don't see these three, three things, then you don't have a true biblical church. I'm not going to get into all of those arguments about that, but preaching of the word, administration of sacraments, and exercise of church discipline, which is just accountability and confessing our sins to one another, things like that. So we do, we do those things. Uh, we do a lot of other things, too, when we gather together. We, we sing, we pray, we fellowship with one another, we give tithes and offerings. And these things are all part of our worship of God, part of our service to him as we gather and worship him. I've used this illustration before. Uh, I don't know if I've used it here, but some of you may have heard me talk about this, that Sunday morning is not the finish line of a race, we don't come here and say, oh, I had such a hard week and, and we collapse over the finish line and just 
fall down and we don't come here and say, oh, I'm, I just, I need to get fed. I'm just, I'm so down in the dumps. I'm so weak spiritually. Now you may feel that way um, and that may be your reality, but that's, you don't come here ending a, a long week. I think you come here and this is the starting line. This is the beginning of the race. This is the gun going off and saying, go out into the world. Go out and live your Christian life on Monday through Saturday. Don't come to church as just like you're falling over and, and you can't, can't keep walking. Come to church saying, I'm going because I'm gonna, get, I'm gonna get fed so that I can go out and live for God and be his witness in the world. So we gather on Sunday mornings for worship and in the narrow sense, um, that's, that's what we're doing. We're, we're worshiping here in those ways that we just talked about. And then we're sent out in the broad sense of worship to live our whole lives as worship to the Lord, as witnesses in the world. Uh, and I don't think Paul here, it, he's not giving a, like a how-to seminar to the Ephesians about what their Sunday morning worship should look like, uh, but he is talking about worship throughout Ephesians and even in this passage that we're gonna look at here this morning. And I think we see that here right away in verse one where he urges them to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. So walking with God in humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, maintaining the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. These are things that ought to mark our fellowship together as we worship God together. Paul continues, he goes on here, to remind them of their calling in verses four to six. He emphasizes our unity here over and over. We see this word one, that's repeated seven different times. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, of all who is over all and through all and in all. So this idea of unity is, is again a huge part of our calling. Then in verses 7 to 10 here, uh, we're not going to go through this all word by word, but he talks about how God, he's explaining how God has given gifts to his people. And these gifts are things that are used in our corporate worship as we gather together in our service of the Lord. There's a quote there you'll see in verse 8 uh, from Psalm 68. This, the original quote in Psalm 68 is describing God as a victorious king who's returning from battle and he's, he's gathering the spoil to himself. He's taking, he's receiving uh, the gifts. But Paul here actually flips that image and reverses the imagery and talks about Christ who is the victor and Christ who actually comes down, who, who descends down and he has given the gifts to his people. So instead of the imagery of, of God coming as, as victor and, and taking the spoil, it's Christ coming down and giving gifts to his people. So as we come here on Sunday mornings, uh, just as we're reminded in our call to worship at the beginning of the service, our worship should first and foremost be oriented vertically to our God and Father, the one who is over all and through all and in all. We see that in verse 4. And to our Lord Jesus Christ, who has ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. See that in verse 10. And to the Holy Spirit, in whom we are united in the bond of peace. We see that in verse 3. We worship a triune God, one God in three glorious persons. 
And even that, as we, as we ponder the mystery of the Trinity, it ought to cause us to worship and to adore our great God. What's important as it is that we, we understand this vertical element and that we get that right, uh, that we are first and foremost vertically oriented in our worship, our focus doesn't stop there. We don't only focus vertically as we come here on Sunday mornings. And that brings us to our second point. It's that we are called to serve God in our nurture of one another. We're called to serve God in our nurture of one another. Now, if you want to draw some arrows, you can draw an arrow with points going both ways, with the arrow going both ways here. So this is, this is really the emphasis here in verses 11 to 16 in chapter 4. Uh, first, Paul tells us that Christ gave to his church certain leaders apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And these leaders were given for a specific purpose. And that purpose is all about how we serve God in our nurture of one another. And that's what he's going to go through in verses 12 to 16. So the purpose we see here in verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And I think this building up of the body of Christ happens specifically in two ways. The first one is internally. Okay? It happens here with us on Sunday mornings and in our community groups. But this is, this is discipleship. This is us moving on toward unity and maturity that we would not be carried away by false teaching as he goes on to describe here, but that we would grow up in Christ and that we would that each of us would do our part and that the whole body of Christ would grow up together because each of us is doing our part. So that's the first way that the body of Christ is built up, kind of internally through discipleship. The second is externally through evangelism, and that's what we're going to be talking about in our next section. So this building up of the body toward maturity, it's a corporate maturity. Again, it's not coming here, it's not Kevin coming and saying, oh, I just need to come and get fed. I just need to come and worship God and then I'm just gonna go home and and do my thing. Um, It's not James or Moy doing the same thing, saying, we're just gonna, I'm gonna come, I'm gonna worship God, this is gonna be me and God, just this vertical emphasis, I'm not gonna talk to anybody else, I don't really like any of these people, I'm just gonna come worship God and then I'm gonna go home. Well, that's not how it works. You can't come here, I mean, if you've been coming to Emmaus Road very long, you, you know once you walk in the door, somebody's going to be talking to you. You can't come in and, and be ignored. You can't come in and just be a fly on the wall. That's because we believe that community is important. We believe that that idea of, of discipleship happening in this context, now it's, it needs to happen in other contexts too, but it really needs to begin here. And that's something that we really believe. So it's about people coming in and saying, hey, I know this person has a need. This person needs a meal this week. Uh, this person just needs to go out for lunch. They've been having a rough week. I'm going to give them a call and we're going to, we're going to get together and we're going, to, we're going to fellowship together. Well, in that way, I think Sunday morning is kind of like Packers training camp, right? It's that time of year again. Uh, training camp is kicking off. And uh, I don't know if you're like me. I love listening to, especially at the beginning of the year, I love listening to Mike McCarthy's press conferences because you kind of get an idea of like where the team is at, kind of, you know, he's got his pulse or he's got his finger on the pulse of the team and you can kind of get, get an idea of, of where things are at and, 
In his opening press conference, he was talking about, you know, all the guys, how excited they are, and they're out there flying around and doing these drills, but saying, you know, they're out there doing it in their helmet and their underwear. Like, they're, they're not in pads yet. They're just out there running around, and, and these drills are really important, but this isn't the real work yet. Like, wait till the pads get on, and then you'll see how good these guys really are. Um, so, I think for us, that's what it's... That's what it's like here Sunday morning. It's, it's time to get the pads on and to start hitting some people. And I don't mean in that way. Um, we're not talking about, you know, hitting people and laying them out on the floor here. But, but what if you came to church with that same kind of intensity? What if, what if you know, your week maybe was like, like helmets and underwear, okay? You're, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm doing some drills, I'm getting ready. Sunday morning, boom, it's on. We're gonna, we're gonna go, we're gonna, I'm gonna worship God, I'm gonna engage with people. And that's what, that's what we need to come here with, I think, that kind of intensity. We need, to, we need to pursue our brothers and sisters in Christ with the purpose of building up the body of Christ. Maybe it's committing yourself to having that hard conversation that you've been avoiding. Uh, Paul talks here about speaking the truth in love. That's one of those things that is actually building unity, having hard conversations. And what if what happens on here, what, what, if what, what if what happens here on Sunday mornings really matters? What if it's really important? What if we come here and we're not just spectators, but we're participants? What if we can truly meet with the living God in that vertical orientation and out of an overflow of our worship of him, we can truly impact the lives of other people and see the body of Christ built up, that, that horizontal orientation. That excites me. That gets me excited about getting up here and talking to you on Sunday mornings. And I hope that excites you too. I hope you say, yeah, I want to go and worship God and fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ and see the body of Christ built up. Well, there's something else uh, that excites me too, and that's our, what our third point is. We are called to serve God in our witness to the world. We are called to serve God in our witness to the world. So if you're drawing an arrow here, this arrow has, has an end point, and then it's shooting off. I don't know what all the words for these certain types of arrows I should know, but geometry was a long time ago. Um, well, I want to kind of get autobiographical here for a second. Um, I shared some things last week about what God has done in my life to give me more of a heart for the church and to serve in his church. And I'm, I'm not sharing these things to, to toot my own horn or to say, look at me and, and how far I've come or whatever. But it's really to, to give God the glory for what he's done and how he has changed my heart. Last week, uh, I talked about how in high school, I tried to avoid going to church as much as I could, and I had a lot of battles with my mom on Sunday mornings where she had pretty much have to just drag me out of bed and drag me to church. And then I went to college, and my freshman year, I didn't go to church one single Sunday. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. I thought I was free. I could be done with all that church stuff. And then one night on April Fool's Day, 2000, uh, God sent a guy in my dorm room to come and preach the gospel to me, and I went to church with him the next day, and was just blown away seeing all these Christians who were, were talking about Jesus and loving him and living in community and really actually living out the thing that they were called to do. And that's really something I hadn't seen at all my entire life in church. And I got really excited about sharing that good news with other people. 
I uh, went to China after my sophomore year for a summer, uh, did a ton of evangelism on a college campus, and then Lindsay and I got married and we moved back to China for a year. We were there from 2003 to 2004. Uh, we kind of started a ministry on a college campus that hadn't had one on it before. We got to do a ton of evangelism, got to disciple people, and it was a really encouraging time. And then we moved back in 2007, and for the next eight and a half years, I really wrestled with a lot with this, um, the relationship between evangelism and discipleship, and the relationship between uh, a parachurch organization like I was with and, and the, the role of the local church. Uh, so much so that in, in 2010, we actually moved all the way across the country in China and we uh, kind of began a new ministry that had more of a focus on discipleship and partnership with the local church because I really was just starting to feel like the local church was so crucial uh, to, to God's plan and to the work that we were doing. And then in, uh, well, I guess it was November of 2013, this guy named Dan Breed sent me an email and he said, hey, I want to hear, just want to hear about your, you know, your future and what your thoughts are. And uh, I said, well, we don't have any plans to leave China. I'll, I'll talk to you in 2014 when we come back on furlough. So, um, so Dan and I met. Uh, we sat down for lunch at uh, Houdini's in Appleton. And God had just been really stirring a lot of different things in my heart at that time. I was finishing up seminary. Uh, I had been reading two books uh, at that time for kind of for my final seminary paper. And the combination of, of these books and the conversation I had with Dan and all the things that God was stirring in my heart uh, really kind of changed the course of, of our lives and our ministry. Uh, I'm going to share just a little bit from those um, books and, and kind of what God was doing. The first one was called Concerning the True Care of Souls, which is written by Martin Bootser. Uh, the book was written almost 500 years ago. Bootser was one of John Calvin's mentors and just recently translated into English. Great little book. He, he's basically making the argument from Ezekiel chapter 34 when God is uh, talking to the shepherds of Israel and kind of warning them and the things that they're not doing right. Uh, he, he, Bootser argues that there are five kinds of sheep uh, from the lost sheep, which like number one, all the way up to, to the strong sheep, number five, and then two, three, four in between, kind of you know, people who are in different places in their, in their Christian life. And after reading that book, I realized that the ministry that I was doing and was involved with really was only focused on those extremes of going and doing evangelism, and then as quickly as possible, trying to get those people to be leaders in the church and be those fives you know, in just a couple months or something that is totally not realistic. Um, and the, real, the reality is, is as I was, you know, the longer I was in ministry, the longer I was just seeing struggles in the church, struggles with the people I was working with, I was realizing that, that most people's Christian lives operate most of the time somewhere in that two to four range where, you know, we're, we've trusted Christ, but we're, we're hobbling along, <laughs> We're, we're struggling. Things, maybe it's a, a marriage that's, that's not going well. Maybe it's just baggage from the past. Maybe it's just struggling with some kind of sin that has, just keeps dogging us. But those things, are, those things are the reality for us in this world. Um, and I knew that the church was really the only place where all five kinds of sheep from, from the non-believer who comes in to the strongest believers in the church 
the church is really the only place where all five of those types of people can be effectively ministered to at one time and in one place. And so those were things for me that I just, I realized evangelism and discipleship that those things couldn't be disconnected from a local church and that the local church was, was crucial. The second book that I was reading was called The Gospel in a Pluralist Society by Leslie Newbegin. Uh, this is a fantastic book if you're interested in how, does the, how can we engage a, a pluralist culture and pluralist society? How does the gospel speak into that? Um, Newbegin was a missionary in India for 40 years and so he really lived these things out. Well, remember here, I'm, I'm arguing from Clowney that we are called to serve God in our witness to the world. And then as I mentioned at the beginning, uh, some people, they want to they reimagine church. Uh, they want to argue that the way things are being done are not, not attractive enough to, to bring non-believers in. Well, Newbegin is actually in his book here, he's responding to some similar critiques about the importance of the local church in God's plan and the role of making the gospel known to the world. This quote is a little long, so bear with me. But this is in a chapter called The Congregation as Hermeneutic of the Gospel. Hermeneutic is just a fancy word for interpretation of the the way that people are going to understand the gospel. This is what Leslie Newbegin says. He says, And yet I confess that I have come to feel that the primary reality of which we have to take account in seeking for a Christian impact on public life is the Christian congregation. How is it possible that the gospel should be credible, that people should come to believe that the power which has the last word in human affairs is represented by a man hanging on a cross? I am suggesting that the only answer, the only hermeneutic of the gospel, is a congregation of men and women who believe it and live by it. I am, of course, not denying the importance of many activities by which we seek to challenge public life with the gospel evangelistic campaigns, distribution of Bibles and Christian literature, conferences, and even books such as this one. But I am saying that these are all secondary and that they have power to accomplish their purpose only as they are rooted in and lead back to a believing community. This community has at its heart the remembering and rehearsing of Jesus' words and deeds and the sacraments given by him through which it is enabled both to engraft new members into its life and to renew this life again and again through sharing in his risen life through the body broken and the lifeblood poured out. It exists in him and for him. He is the center of its life. Its character is given to it when it is true to its nature, not by the characters of its members, but by his character." Insofar as it is true to its calling, it becomes the place where men and women and children find that the gospel gives them the framework of understanding, the lenses through which they are able to understand and cope with the world. I think chapters four to six here in Ephesians are really all about walking out this calling as the body of Christ. God gave evangelists, we read in verse 11, as a special role, but our very existence as a church is evangelistic if we believe what Leslie Newbegin says and if we believe what Paul says. I want to mention one more thing here. Uh, recommend another resource. 
Uh, this is much shorter than the clowny book, so if you don't have uh, 10 hours to read through a big fat theological book, uh, you can probably read this one in easily in less than an hour. Uh, I've got some copies of this actually on the book table right outside the door there. It's called The Church, God's New People, and it's uh, put out by the Gospel Coalition. If you actually Google The Church, God's New People, free PDF, uh, you can find this. You can download it. There's like 16 books on all kinds of topics, similar to the books that we have out there on the table, but they're all free, and you can go download those and, and read those. But uh, on pages 20 to 26 of this booklet, he has a section called The Church and Outreach, and he breaks it down into two parts. The first is bringing the world to Christ, and the second is bringing Christ to the world. Now, sometimes we make this distinction between come and see versus go and tell. Uh, some people will make the argument that, uh, well, the Old Testament had the temple and people would go, the people of Israel were, were a, a nation that God set apart, and there was this idea of come and tell. But now in the New Testament, we don't need to do that anymore. It's all or come and see. It's all, it's all go and tell. We just go out, go out, go out. Well, I'm going to argue that it's, it's both. <laughs> Bringing the world to Christ, inviting people to come and see, that's part of what we're doing here on Sunday morning. We're coming here, we're worshiping God, we're nurturing one another, but we also want this to be an evangelistic time. Uh, evangelism isn't only going out and knocking on doors and preaching on the street corner. This idea of, of bringing Christ to the world, of going and telling, um, that, is, that is vital. Uh, we need to do that. But it's not only out there, out there, out there. Like I said, it is inviting the world to come and to see who Christ is, to see what is this gospel that we claim to believe. And as we mentioned a little bit last week, why do we go through our order of worship? Why do we confess, confess our sins and have an assurance of pardon? It's because every Sunday in our service, there's that retelling of the gospel. It's not just in the sermon that people are going to hear the gospel. It's in the whole service. And so if you're here today and, and this is all new to you and you're like, I have no idea what this guy is talking about. You know, I've been to church before and it was so boring and I didn't get anything out of it. Well, we're glad you're here. Um, and we don't want this just to be where you come and, and sit and, and just zone out. <laughs> we want you to come also and to come and engage and to hear the things that we're talking about and to be challenged by the things that we're talking about. When we say that Jesus Christ is the only way for you to have your sins forgiven and to be reconciled to God. We want you to see that reality lived out here as we fellowship with each other and as we worship God together. And then... From here, we do want to go out. We want to live faithful witnessing lives in our communities and in our workplaces. I think without the church knowing who God has called us to be, what our identity is, and what he has called us to do, our calling, I don't think that we can effectively do either of those. I don't think we can effectively bring the world to Christ or bring Christ to the world. So brothers and sisters, let us be reminded of our identity and our calling, which both come from Christ, to be his disciples, to follow him, to love and serve God and others, and to make him known both in our corporate worship gatherings and in our day-to-day -day lives as we leave here and go out into the world where God has called us to live and walk with him. I want to close by inviting you to flip your worship guide over to the front cover.
This is a quote from Edmund Clowney, the, the book I shared earlier. And I think this really kind of just brings together everything that I've been talking about and hopefully kind of hammers it home for us this morning. He says, Christian witness that is limited to private religious experience cannot challenge secularism. Christians in community must again show the world not merely family values, but the bond of the love of Christ. Increasingly, the ordered fellowship of the church becomes the sign of grace for the warring factions of a disordered world. Only as the church binds together those whom selfishness and hate have cut apart will its message be heard and its ministry of hope to the friendless be received. Brothers and sisters, we have a message of hope to bring to the world. So let's know who we are and let's go out into the world and live out that calling that God has given us. Let's pray together. Father, we are reminded this morning of, of how good you are to us. To call us from being dead in sin, to call us from being in darkness, to be alive, to be brought into your light, to know you and be reconciled to you through Christ, and to have a high calling to be your witnesses, to be your ambassadors, to go out into this world, to live out the calling that you've given us, and to come here on Sunday mornings and to live that calling out, to come and worship you, to focus on you, to to nurture one another, to build up the body of Christ. God, remind us, remind us every day of who we are, of, of who you've made us to be, and of what you're calling us to do in your world. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.